Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. Okay, Sally Hill is a leader, thinker and doer in the world of purpose-driven business. She is the founder of Purpose and she's a long-time advocate of responsible and sustainable business. Sally founded one of Australia's first B Corps, Wild One, an experienced design agency, and in 2015, she established the Purpose Conference. Sally curates the Purpose program and is the connector of Purpose's partners, community, and team. And um, immediately prior to rebooting Purpose in 2022, which we're all really looking forward to, Sally worked with Climate 200, bringing business on board to support the historic 2022 climate election results. Sally, welcome to the For Love and Money podcast. Thank you. So nice to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, really excited to get into our conversation. Um, and I want to kick off with a question I'm asking everybody, which is when you think about purpose in business, which I imagine you do a hell of a lot, um, what role do you think love has to play in it, mm. if any? Mm, yeah, well, I think I think love um, is a fundamentally, you know, human um, reality that we can't pretend doesn't exist in a business context as it does in every other context. Um, I think one thing that I find really interesting about, about business is that people tend to think they can separate out the, you know, their business lives from their other lives and separate out their emotion or their base psychology from their commercial decisions. But actually, um, these things run very, very deep. And I think it's worth being aware that, um, you know, humans actually often do business with brands they love and people they love without realising it. Um, yeah, I think it's really important. And, I, and I've been thinking a lot lately about empathy, um, mm. how an expansion of our empathy is really what's underlying um, our progress on things like inclusion, on things like environmental responsibility. And I think, you know, they're almost interchangeable concepts, empathy and love. Yeah, well, it's hard not to have one without the other, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. if you if if you love if if you know whether it's love love of people or planet or whatever, you can't help but feel empathy for suffering of yeah. any kind. Yes. Yeah. Look, it's so interesting, and this idea of separation, I think it's something that you know more and more people are realizing. It just doesn't make sense. It's not rational. We don't separate ourselves. We show up as human beings and, um, you know, our, our workplace and our business lives need to be part of that. Yes, absolutely. And we are intricately connected to everything around us from an ecological point of view. And that's something we can't, we can't um, get away with pretending, you know, it's not the case any longer. It's, it's coming to bear in our, in our day-to-day lives. Yeah, and look, I'm I'm really interested in following that thread because I read somewhere that you're you're passionate about nature and rewilding, and I'd love to um, through this conversation explore that connection between you know nature and business and people and how important it how how it all connects. So, can you first share with us your background story that led to where you are today, about to launch the next Purpose Conference after, is it four years hiatus? Yeah, four year, four year break. Yep. Um, I guess my background is that I became first very interested in the idea of purpose-driven business, I don't know, 2010, 
um, when I was kind of doing my first real job out of university. And I definitely didn't call it purpose-driven business at that point. Um, Cause I was, I was essentially interested in, you know, environmental justice and social issues and didn't quite know where I was going to start pointing myself in terms of a career, but fresh out of uni, I went and worked at GetUp, which was a um, kind of political campaigning group. And we were looking at a whole range of issues in our campaigns and, you know, on behalf of our members, but a campaign that I became quite fascinated with was a was one we were running around the Guns Pulp Mill in Tasmania, uh, which is a very, um, was at the time a very controversial project. And the Greens all, you know, were working on it, the Wilderness Society was working on it, Greenpeace was working on it, the local community had a lot of opposition to the um, to the mill, but in Tasmania, of course, you had a really big push for, for it from an economic development point of view and from a local jobs point of view, which is the, the classic tension in Tassie around forestry. Um, and essentially the opposition was, was very ineffective. So even the environment minister at the time, Peter Garrett said, you know, he was going to let this thing happen, which people couldn't believe. This is a leading of midnight oil. Peter Garrett, yeah. Um, and... And he said, oh, it's a done deal. And, you know, he was taking that, that line of it's a best practice, world's best practice pulp mill. And um, it was the most sustainable pulp mill, but essentially it was going to be wood chipping um, native Tassie forest. So get up at the time and, and with the other campaigners that were working on it, kind of tried to take a different, well, did take a different tack, which was looking at the companies who were actually investing in the project rather than kind of, you know, rallying and trying to lobby politicians, it became about a shareholder activism campaign and also a consumer reputation campaign for one particular big bank who was a big company bankrolling the project. And our tactics were, you know, take out ads in the AFR um, about the reputational risk to this, this bank, but also the risk that the other investors would face if they had their money in it. Um, and also getting the bank's customers to call them up and say they wanted the bank to take, you know, withdraw their funding of the project. And it was really effective. And it was um, the thing that that made the difference actually in the project being shelved and then eventually totally abandoned. Um, and yeah, for me, that was just a light bulb moment where I was like, wow, this is a huge lever. And it's really, really important um, to look at corporate reputation, corporate responsibility. Because, um, you know, really business is is the reason, you know, I, I'm, I love business and I'm a business person, but business and, you know, mass consumption and, you know, really large scale production is the reason why we're in this mess because businesses don't always see themselves as um, responsible for everything in their supply chain. And so while they're part of the problem, they can also be a huge part of the solution. Um, but what we've seen over the last, you know, however many, 10, 15 years is that there's a, there has to be an agitation from their customers from the, the public in terms of saying, you know, this public sentiment has changed, we expect more from companies. And then of course there needs to be regulation as well. Um, but in the absence of stronger regulation, it's just been really about, yeah, these kind of consumer campaigns, um, brand reputation campaigns and shareholder activism. So I just became absolutely fascinated with that whole world. Um, went to London for a couple of years to work on sort of, I was trying to get into corporate responsibility ended up in more like a communications role, which definitely shaped my career. I got very into social media and transparency and digital comms um, and then came back to Australia and was at WWF for a little while working in their 
sustainable supply chain transformation team um, with really big brands who WWF was helping to become more sustainable throughout their yep. supply chain. And then I started a business called Wild One in 2013 that was um, a B Corp. And we were really interested in B Corp at that time because I had touched on campaigning, I touched on corporate responsibility. And at that time, I really believed that knowing what I knew about the way companies operated and how they internally measured their success, you know, essentially all around shareholder returns, um, I believed that B Corp was key piece of the puzzle in terms of redefining what success meant in business and protecting directors who wanted to act in the long-term interest of of their shareholders but also of the the environment and the communities that they operated in so I still do believe that that is is one of the biggest levers we have is redefining um, success in business and redefining the legal framework under which businesses operate and their directors are actually legally have to make decisions yeah and so, yeah, that, that kind of thread of thinking led me on to, yeah, starting an agency that we tried, you know, we, ex- we worked with a lot of B Corps, we were part of the B Corp community ourselves, but we also worked exclusively with sustainable social impact organisations to work on their brands, their comms, their digital and their events and experiences and, yeah, did that for around seven years and out of that came, came purpose because we really wanted to apply those skills to our own community and our own world and accelerating that professional community and so can I just ask at at this point I mean this was the early years for B Corp in Australia wasn't it but did you find that you were attracting clients to Wild One that were like-minded and that were trying to find this path yeah definitely definitely it was sort of um people within organizations that were particularly values aligned to us so individuals or whole organizations who had you know a a sustainable or social impact ethos that yeah we were aligned with but I guess you know like like so many businesses in this space we found we really had to be doing the best work and have something unique in the marketplace as well it wasn't just about it wasn't enough to just be values aligned which is true of any business isn't it you've got to show up with quality Exactly. Yeah. So we were unique in that we were we were applying the methodologies of service design and user experience design in in this world in terms of campaigning and, and um, persuasion around how, why people should you know care about this idea or this agenda or change their behaviour. Um, but we were also unique in that we were working at the intersection of real world events or real world experiences and digital experiences. And again, using the tools of kind of service and experience design, um, which was very new at the time to be applying it to event design. So what do you mean by service and experience design? Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, so essentially um, kind of uh, tools uh, that that allow you to go to quite a deep level of um, empathy. So user empathy and understanding. So you tend to, that you know, the things you might do as part of a service design or experience design project are research um, user types and deep, try to deeply understand their lives, their motivations, their pain points, their, their loves, um, yep. and then appeal to them based on those, that understanding and also design experiences around them um, so that, you're hoping you're hoping to achieve kind of a higher level of take up, but also a higher level of engagement and and traction with those people as a result of understanding them better. 
And then essentially, yeah, you create kind of personas and you do journey maps and you really step out yep. and experience from their point of view to make it as exceptional as possible for your audience. Okay, brilliant. And so the first Purpose Conference was born in that time. Yes. And yep. can you tell, tell, tell us about the first one? Oh, well, the first one was in 2015 and it was a really relatively small conference. It was quite a kind of a boutique conference of about 200 people at um, the Eternity Playhouse in Darlinghurst, which is a theatre. But we also activated the street around it with help from the city of Sydney. And we had about three or four venues in the street that people were you know, using for breakout sessions and workshops and um, and now drinks afterwards. And yeah, it was a, it was a really beautiful event. It was kind of felt dream dreamlike to me actually, because we put so much love and care into the, the beautification of the event and the feeling and the vibe, um, which is hard to explain, but something that people who've attended Purpose talk a lot about is, is how special the experience is when you walk in and, and look, the various touch points throughout the throughout the event um and yeah we just poured our absolute you know heart and souls into it and thankfully people really loved it and from there it became yeah known as a bit of a you know event on the on the calendar for people who work in this world and how much did it grow um between so from 2015 to 2018 was it yeah it doubled in size to 400 in the following yeah. Oh, and then into to 2018, we had about 500 people there. And that's where we, we think we want to keep it because it's, um, it's a difficult thing to scale. Yeah, we want to keep this, the experience quite special. And we think 500 is about as big as we want to go for any single event. Yeah, fantastic. And um, so what happened? What happened next? Mm, so um, in 2018, the last event we had was 2018 because we were, we were on an 18-month rhythm at that time. Um, and, yeah, I um, actually decided to step out of the business, the business wild one, because um, of a whole lot of personal and, yeah, life reasons, but I need a break. So after the event in 2018, I actually let that business go and stepped away from it but um, did it in such a way that purpose, you know, if I wanted to, was there to be, it was kind of mothballed and there to be picked up in the future if, if I wanted to work on it. Um, so wait a minute. So you, you stepped away from Wild One mm -hmm. and, and purpose, but with the option to come back for purpose. Yeah, I mean, there's always an option to pick up Wild One again. But um, for me, I found the, the event was actually one of the, you know, the nicest things that we did because it was our own project. All the other things we did were client projects and client work and they tended to be more challenging. Purpose is a very challenging project as well. But, I can um, imagine. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it was a, a, had a lot of kind of brand and equity and kind of community goodwill attached to it. So I did, I did suspect that maybe one day I would want to pick it up again. Um, but I was very relieved to not be running um, a, an agency for a while. I found it really hard. Um, it was really enjoyable and definitely taught me so many, you know, so many skills and, and met so many amazing people and had a, a wonderful time. But at that time, I felt like I had drawn on a lot of my reserves in terms of, yeah, being able to find energy and love for it again. I was really, yeah, essentially burnt out. We'd had like really tragic um, event happen within our team and 
I just could not could not dig any deeper at that point. So I decided to just let it go, take some time to myself, and to, you know work on getting my my mojo back, basically, which I I did <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Look, I I think um, running an agency in in any circumstances is a challenge. I ran I ran my own agency for eighteen years, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not for the faint hearted. Is it? Yeah. I mean, there are there are many many issues, but doing that and what you were doing with purpose and um, managing people, I can imagine it was hugely challenging. Mm-hmm. So you stepped away, and mm-hmm. what what happened while you stepped away? What was happening in that space? Um, so I started just working for some of our clients, actually, but doing it independently. So I was just operating more like a consultant um, and bringing in team as I needed to, but I found that a lot less complex, a lot less challenging than than having a team all year round that, you know, that needed to be paid and needed work coming in. Um, and, yeah, had a really good time in that. Yeah, actually, pardon me, I immediately after Wild One actually took a role with another um, agency, which, you know, was a bit obviously a decision in hindsight because I wanted a break from agency, but um, <laughs> but I it, I was very excited about the prospect of working in someone else's business and being the team member to support the founders rather than being without all the pressures that go with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I actually had a wonderful twelve months um, with today's strategic design, and and was able to support their founders in a way that I definitely wouldn't have been able to unless I'd had the experience of being a founder and also going through the challenges as, that we'd had, you know, they experienced a lot of similar challenges. They were also a B Corp, um, but they were much bigger, more robust business in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I had a really wonderful time with them, but then I decided to go out on my own as a consultant. And that's where I kind of, you know, just had the luxury, I guess, of just needing to look after um, myself for a little while. And then um, I worked for the New South Wales um chief scientist and engineer or, or an agency or network that they had funded um, around circular economy innovation for around 18 months during COVID. Oh, wow. So that was a, a state government initiative? State government, yeah. So run out of the chief scientist and engineer's office and they fund particular innovation themes um, through what they call innovation networks. So I was really deeply immersed in circular economy for a while there, which is huge you know huge scope and a huge challenge for governments um because it's so vast in terms of the areas it touches so we were looking at you know infrastructure utilities cities you know that kind of level or or even global supply chains and global regulation around product stewardship but we're also looking at individual um, products and material reuse and material tech and working quite a bit with the university sector around technologies that already are in existence you know and just how to deploy them um and commercialize them so yeah that 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 must have been a that must have been a fascinating experience yeah it was wonderful it was wonderful with um my ceo there was lisa mclean she does a really great lot of great work still in circular economy um and a chief circular economist carmay tang dr carmay tang um who's a really brilliant mind and did a lot of incredible analysis when we were working together around the kind of the case for circular economy. Um, We were also working with the state government around really how to have a whole of government approach to the circular economy. So it wasn't just sitting within waste or environment. It was actually more about like, you know, treasury and procurement and um, 
long-term structural change around how things are, how materials flow in our economy, I guess, is the, is the way to sort of think about it. And so is that something um, that's, that's being adopted widely by government? Um, if we found that each state government in Australia is kind of grappling with it in a different way. Um, so some, like say Victoria, uh, they've got a really cool, um, I think it's called CBIC, Circular Economy Business Innovation Centre, that's um, like incubating and accelerating businesses around, around themes. So they started with food waste, and then I think they're moving to textile waste, and um, we're kind of tackling it sector by sector. And they also had... I think it's called Sustainability Victoria, was where their economy work sat, um, but had a really big emphasis on waste and data, which is also really important, like understanding the data, understanding the waste streams. Um, and then a lot of the state's work was laddering up to some work that Planet Arc was doing around, yep. again, metrics and data. Um, at the same time as, yeah, like lots of orgs um, and, you know, New South Wales Circular, where I was as well, we're trying to understand the, the national picture and how we sat in the global scheme of things. And actually, Australia has a very high, very high material footprint per capita. So we mm -hmm. have a long way to go. And we have a very low percentage of our economy that is circular compared to other countries. And yeah, there is definitely a lot of, like, I guess, really good intention in government um, to support businesses that are more circular and support through regulation, support through policy. It's, I guess, I realised while I was there that, that government to work on long-term timelines and the change is really hard. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of a lot of great work happening. Is a lot of great work happening, um, but there are some very disruptive forces on the business side uh, that you know excite me as well. Which is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Fantastic. Okay, and we're going to get to that. But first, you're going to continue your journey mm. and tell us where you went to next. Uh, yeah, so from there, I I worked with Climate 200 from, um, for about six months in the lead up to the last federal election, uh, which was honestly one of, I'd say, probably the best professional experience I've had in my life. Um, oh, really? Yeah. In, yeah. What, in what way? Well, there was an incredible team. So really... Uh, I feel so lucky to just have been part of the team and part of that moment in time. Um, it was sort of people who'd pulled in, you know, the best, best video content producer you can think of, the best campaigner we know, the best, you know, thinker, strategist, the best fundraiser. Um, it was like an assembly of just, you know, your dream team. And, and everyone, you know, mo most people thankfully were able to say yes and just drop everything they were doing. And everyone, everyone, I think, most people recognised the opportunity, recognised that this was different to all the things they'd, you know, been asked to do before. Because the thing in, you know, climate and advocacy and climate work is that, gosh, we've been at it for such a long time and you almost get used to things not working. Inaction um, being the norm. Exactly, exactly. But the strategy was so sound and... Um, so can can you just can you just backtrack for a moment, just because just in case any any of the listeners aren't familiar with Climate Two Hundred, we've got some international listeners as well. Can you explain what Climate Two Hundred is? Yeah, so essentially, Climate Two Hundred um, was looking at funding independent candidates to um, to run for seats in the Australian Parliament. And why is that so revolutionary? Um, because we have like essentially a couple of major parties that have solidified 
into a two-party system in Australia that's um, really rusted on and has been a very hard thing to break. And it's meant that, well, and, and also, I mean, there's a lot of converging factors and other factors that we've had a government in place um, for the last, you know, in really living memory for some people um, that has been an absolute, you know, complete block on action around climate change and progressive policy in other areas um, and arguably uh, quite a corrupt um, government. So supported we, by a media, a very one-sided dominant media landscape as well. Yeah, exactly. So Climate 200's values were around integrity in politics, um, gender equality in parliament and firm action on climate change. And so there, there's another, I guess, another thread in the story. So there's sort of Climate 200's emergence as, a, as an organisation that was funding um, candidates who stood for these three values. Um, and they, they'd experimented with that in previous elections. But at the same time, what was happening is um, since around 2013, I think would have been when it emerged, um, there's a movement called um, Voices Of or Community Independence Movement that started with Cathy McGowan in a seat called Indi in regional Victoria, um, where the community basically was was frustrated by the fact that the person that they'd elected to parliament who happened to be happened to be a Liberal Party politician wasn't representing their interests. They were much more interested in the, the party, the party politics, um, voting along party lines and power and their, you know, their personal career path. And um, and that became a theme in lots of electorates around why people were kind of organizing to shift to an independent member. Um, so yeah, Kathy McGowan won her seat in back in I think it was 2013, and then started training others to start Voices of Movement. So Voices of Indi, we had you know we had um, Michaela Rising, we had um, they all got slightly different names, um, and we had one pop up in Wentworth, North Sydney. You know this cluster that emerged in the last election that was just so exciting. At one point we were there just watching these things just you know pop up like and all women. And all women. Well, there are a couple of independents um, that are male, male. So David Pocock, who got oh yeah, yeah, and Andrew, um, gotten his name, the independent senator Wilkie, um, who are men. But there's definitely a thread there around this thing about mm. gender equality in parliament, women who are voting for those women. Um, harder to measure in the polling, interestingly, because it doesn't show up as a priority that people were made, that people were voting for but they're obviously choosing to vote for a female candidate um, over others so yeah it, it was a really exciting thing to be part of um, it was run I'd say sort of culturally felt more like a tech startup it was very data driven very cutting edge in terms of the tools we were using incredible creative team very much like a, a modern best-in-class team um, in terms of the comms we were doing, creative, yeah, everything, uh, but but with the heart of a kind of a campaigning and organising organisation. So it was very, very cool and in the end very successful. Fantastic. And, um, you know, you talked early on about, um, I think, when you were early in your career and, and you could see the value of agitation, I think you talked about. And, you know, if that's not an expression of agitation and activism, 
um, grassroots, then nothing is. So it seems to be like that's a consistent thread coming through. Enjoying the podcast? If you're looking for more inspiration, head to our website, thecauseeffects.com.au for more resources on how you can start using your business as a force for good. Or buy the For Love and Money book. Every copy sold allows us to protect one square metre of rainforest. Help us save 10,000 square metres by 2025. Fast forward to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um... When I took that job with Climate 200, I had actually already committed to running Purpose in 2022 um, because I'd connected with a wonderful person who's now someone that um, I work with as creative director, Kate Hurst, who I think you might have met. Um, And, yeah, I think the reason, one of the reasons, apart from the pandemic, that it had not come back um, or I'd not been able to get it off the ground again is just because I needed someone else to bounce off and be accountable to and yeah meeting Kate was really amazing for the for the project essentially helped me kind of be re-inspired and energized and and believe it could happen again so we teamed up um and then after the election I moved straight on working on purpose full-time and that's where I am now fantastic and how do you feel being back here in a different place with different experience behind you well that's it that's the interesting thing is it feels nothing like it did um back then because I've yeah seen how other organizations operate actually the experience at climate 200 has definitely informed how the team is operating at the moment um I feel like there's a much stronger um business model wrapped around it which is something that I was non-negotiable for me in terms of it has to be really just have a strong financial kind of underpinning because it was always it still is a very financially risky project and proposition and that's all on me personally so I just had to have a a grounding that was a bit different and felt firm. Um, and then uh, we've got an advisory group that makes a big difference. I've never had that before. Just a lot of support and just an incredible team. And I um, really built into the model the need to have a really high quality professional team, as well as all the volunteers and, you know, partners and stuff that we have involved, just a core team that's really, really top notch. And we absolutely have that, which is great. Fantastic. So um, can you tell us what purpose is about? Now, I know there are people who know purpose. They've been hanging out for it to come back and, you know, they, they, they understand what um, the, they understand the idea behind it. Um, but there are people who don't, um, who are just starting to lean into the, this idea of purpose mm. now. Mm. So can you, can you describe to them what you're trying to achieve through the conference? Yeah, yes, I can. So I guess, I guess like in the, you know, in the background that I talked about the kind of the work in campaigning, the work of the corporate sector, the work with these B Corps that are sort of, you know, these emerging brands, um, you know, of course, then you've also got the not-for-profits, you know, the typical or the traditionally the people who've looked at help how we solve our social and environmental challenges. I saw all these people and, and then, sorry, was, I should mention as well, the impact investment community and mm. the community. Um, and the what community? What was the last thing? Philanthropic yep. community, you know, who've all been, you know, all throwing everything they can at this problem of like, how do we get on a better track in terms of our, the sustainability of our economy, feeling like we have a safe future on this planet and making sure it's an equitable one. Um, this 
it just exactly like the climate challenge we haven't been getting better we have been it's actually been going backwards and everyone feels this everyone knows that we need to turn this thing around um and so people that that movement has been emerging and bubbling up but i the way i was seeing it i guess is that we are in a capitalist society a lot of people spend a lot of their time at work um the way things get done is through capital the flows of money um, and it's a hugely powerful force and it's just really about the direction the machine is pointed in right like we need we can mobilize this incredible power and capacity of money of manufacturing of human ingenuity and of all you know all the things that that make our world run if we can if we can start to get them moving or acting towards healing the natural world working you know in ways that are responsible ethical sustainable um in net positive in impact we have a chance at at doing this at turning this around so i guess that's what purpose is really about it's about the, the people inside businesses who know this needs to shift um and are working really hard to do it but how do we collectively um support each other and how do we cooperate um, to get this happening as quickly and effectively as possible. Like we need transformational change and yeah, we need to be um, mobilizing to move really quickly and move as one almost to like get this stuff going. And, and there's incredible momentum that we're seeing, you know, but you know, I would like to see it accelerated and I'd like to see it be exponential in terms of the growth of this stuff over the next few years, because it has to be if we're going to um, move the needle in time, particularly on, on climate and resource constraints. Absolutely. Does it feel different? Now? The energy around, like the interest in it, yeah. does it feel different to the last one you it did? It does. It feels different to the last one and definitely feels different to the early like 2015, 2016 events where, you know, we were really going around to companies and whether it was for partnership, you know, sponsorship or whether it was for ticket sales, we were really having to do this legwork of like convincing people that this was important and telling people the why, you know, why should business care about this? Um, why is this an important trend for the future? Um, that work is all done for us now, like through the collective, I guess, power of, well, the urgency of the issues, but also all the work that's been done culturally, all the work that's been done by, you know, campaigners, agitators, authors, thinkers, the world, the world is waking up to this. And also we've had extreme events here in Australia, you know, we've had bushfires. Um, I think maybe a pandemic has helped us to see how interconnected the world is and how delicate our supply chains are globally, um, how susceptible we are to shock. Um, I think it's definitely a different time. Yeah, the public sentiment has moved. I think on the whole, like I think there's almost mainstream awareness now of these issues and all these companies, all these brands that we talk about as being separate to, you know, humans, like businesses and people are separate. Um, they're actually just all made up of human employees and their customers are humans who deeply care about a better world and they're now expecting more from, from businesses. And they're seeing opportunities, aren't they? I mean, you, you've got... You, You've got the the impact of this mind shift, I think, which is I just um, recently saw the latest Gallup poll 
for Australia and New Zealand, and it shows that only 17% of Australian and New Zealand employees are engaged in their work. 17%. So that's what 83% are disengaged. Mm. Like, mm. like the, and, and people are reeling off these figures and then moving on to the next subject. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait, just wait a minute. What yeah. is that costing Completely. your business? What is it costing every business? What is it costing the Australian economy? Who's, who's not even engaged with what they're doing for eight hours a day, five days a week. Yeah. And, and, and the potential that is just being untapped yeah. of exactly. individuals, of people collectively, and of businesses and the innovation that businesses mm-hmm. can bring. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to what you were talking about, you know, capitalism is such a, such a strong force that we can use. We just need to point it in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, yeah, I think I feel like it's astounding to me that there is not more action and more urgent action. And yet you start to see disruptors in the industry, yeah. you know, who are coming in and disrupting huge industries and getting... Yeah. Um, getting support um we had mike smith the the ceo of zero co on mm-hmm. on this podcast and mm-hmm. you know what they achieved with their funding yeah. um, their crowdfunding was record breaking yeah. what they're achieving in terms of getting traction in the market is amazing and yeah. um yeah so but so many yeah. businesses like that Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And Mike Smith, you know, he's speaking of purpose. I think their story is incredible as well. It also connects to um, Virtual, which is the crowd equity platform that they used the to do the crowdfunding. You know, Virtual reporting that the ethical and sustainable businesses that they crowdfund for outperform, you know, their other campaigns by you know a huge order. So, yeah. It, people get this stuff and the businesses that are winning and the businesses of the future are the ones that are tapping into this. And the financial performance, that is, I'm seeing report after report after report, yeah. that it is not just businesses with a purpose statement, but those that are purposeful, yes. you know, whose higher purpose drives action, innovation, collaboration, mm-hmm. you know, all of that sort of stuff that um, yeah. is is transforming their financial performance and they're outperforming yeah. um, their competitors and... Yeah. I, I, no surprise they're they're more agile they're more resilient they're more innovative yeah yeah um to your point about employee engagement you know there's all this talk at the moment about the the talent drought and how hard it is for companies to recruit but it's a pretty obvious answer I think which is in just having a compelling story to tell about what your company actually does and and that being extremely attractive to people and I've I've just pulled up some stats these are from um Bupa around um Gen Z and millennials seeking ethical workplaces. Um, and it says over half, 54% would take a pay cut to work for a business that reflects their ethics. One in three would turn down a role in a company with poor ESG credentials. Uh, six in 10 said they would stay longer with a company that had ESG commitments and half people would be more productive in an organization with strong ESG commitments. So it's, yeah, extremely an obvious one, but a big blind spot for companies I think that are that are worried about rising, rising wage or you know wage costs or or um, salaries. You know that's a huge issue for recruiters and also just getting talent. It's like, well, maybe you got to step up your game on on reflecting the values of the people you want to appeal to. 
absolutely um and yeah the ones who are not responding to this and even resisting it in some respects i've had many conversations with people around this and there's a feeling that yeah they're people who have succeeded in the in the old world mm -hmm. let's call it the old world you know they've succeeded where profit is is king and that's what they know so there must be a real fear around that but um but we're talking about the new economy and the new world um so tell me about purpose what kind of businesses what kind of organizations are going to be there yeah um so we have a really great range actually so the companies we've announced so far um, a lot of from the startup world, so the sort of those disruptive um, companies that we've talked about. So we've got people like um, Andy Miller, who is the CEO and founder of a company called Heaps Normal, which is a non-alcoholic beer company doing amazing work on mindful drinking. Um, they don't they don't advocate a sober lifestyle, but they do advocate um, a more conscious relationship with alcohol. And they have this great tagline, um, too good to be wasted, which talks about you know life and how it's better when you're not yeah. wasted but also they have a circular economy um side to that and the, you know too good to be wasted relates to how they design their products cans are the aluminium cans are the only um container that's actually a hundred percent recyclable in terms of the material that's recoverable love them um i i have a you know i have so many loves in the in the program in terms of the companies um another standout is sam elsom who's the founder of sea forest and he's just so inspiring so he used to be the creative director of um, upside which is a clothing brand and he was very much in the the fashion world and was trying to make change there around sustainable fashion and materials and then he you know, he was telling me he had this moment where he said, actually, you know, this is urgent and climate is urgent. And he looked at what are the industries he felt he could have the most impact in and which ones were going to move the dial on carbon decarbonisation. And he ended up researching and choosing kelp as a, as a sector. And he basically developed a business model where he's growing kelp um, in a remote part of Tasmania in Triabunna. It's a native kelp. It sequesters carbon to the huge benefit there already. But then he produces a product called asparagopsis, which he sells to the livestock industry, and it reduces drastically the amount of methane emitted from sheep and um, cattle. So Wow, that's massive. Brilliant, right? Um, and then you've got like Amanda Morgan from Fungi Solutions. So she's a mycelium um, and fungi expert, as well as a fashion designer, actually, as well. And they're producing a mycelium material, which is very much like, it's a little bit like, feels like a styrofoam or something like that, like a very lightweight plastic, but it's completely natural material and completely biodegradable. So it's got none of the downsides that you have with, with like a styrofoam. Um, it temperature controls what's inside of it. It's buoyant, it's fire retardant, it's acoustically sound. So they're talking to the construction industry around acoustic panels, but their main, their main thing is that they wanna basically displace plastic in packaging um, through the use of materials. And not only that, but the mushrooms actually digest waste to create the material. So they're training what? mushrooms. Yeah, so they're training mushrooms to digest cigarette butts all kinds of unrecyclable waste and food waste. And so it's this amazing, you know, circular regenerative. Oh my God. See, this is, this is, this is exactly um, 
what we're capable of, what people are capable of when they put their mind and energy to things like such innovation and opportunity. And we've just got to shake ourselves out from this really bounding, limited idea of what business looks like and what industry looks like. And, oh, that's so exciting. I agree. It gives me hope. This is a, you know, it's a selfish project in that it's just like, I need to grasp onto the, you know, the really good news stories to feel um, positive about the future. But these are incredible businesses, incredible opportunities. They are seeing, you know, so much momentum behind them. Zero Co is a great example. People want to support them. They get, they get a lot of investment when they go out to market. And um, yeah, there's a lot of stories like these, thank goodness. And then we're also looking at the kind of corporate end of the thing. And um, we're having the chief purpose officer from KPMG speak, Richard Buller. He's a really brilliant, oh my God, he's had a brilliant career in business and human rights. And he specializes in the kind of mining and extractive sectors and the human rights issues there, but is, is now chief purpose officer of KPMG. Um, I could go on and on. We have so many brilliant speakers. Just I'm going to do another round of speaker announcements very soon, hopefully the time with this podcast release. Fantastic. And I know we've had another one of our guests on, um, Dr. Carl Turner from mm, Hurley. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another, you know, another completely different business model. Yeah where he started with the mission he was trying to achieve. And anyway, amazing. Um, so what do you hope to achieve as a result of the conference? Mm. And I know one event can't do everything, right? And, and I'm, I'm interested in hearing more. You've talked about the purpose community as well. but Yeah. Yeah, so really what we've always wanted to achieve with the conference is, you know, show people a really good time, inspire them give them these incredible ideas, show them the lay of the land. If they don't know this sector very well, show them who's who, show them what's what, like get all the information you need downloaded in two days. Like what is going on in the space? What's the cutting edge? What's the new, the bar? Where do you have to be as a company now to be seen as in, you know, in touch with the best practice on these things. But really the strategic like underpinning of the event is to make purpose-driven business and the purpose-driven business sector the place people want to be like they want to do business in this world they want to work for these companies and they want to buy from these companies and that to me is the bigger play because like we were talking about before you know people are spending all this time and all this energy and all this brilliance working for you know working towards things that are just not helping to solve problems or they're not fixing things they're actually still adding to the the, the damage or the harm um and we kind of want to you know we want to make it this we used to call it FOMO factor but it's just about like moving people's mindsets to be like as if you would work for a company that doesn't you know doesn't look after the environment it doesn't look after the people and doesn't look after communities um it's a cultural shift and it's a mindset shift um you know I found it really interesting reading this week about um Emily Townsend um, you know, leaving News Corp in a very exceptional fashion during the fires. She wrote a letter to the company saying, I'm leaving for these reasons, doesn't reflect my values. And to me, I mean, I've been working in this space for a while. I thought, I can't believe she ever worked for News Corp if she had, if she held these beliefs. But a lot of people aren't yet able to make that link between their personal values and where they think the world wants to go in their and their employer of choice or their um, the consumption choices where their money is in terms of their super, their home loan, their banking, but that is all changing. And I think it will become 
less and less acceptable, you know, socially acceptable and less and less um, palatable for anyone who holds these values to be doing business in a traditional way where you're not thinking about the impact of your actions and the impact of your time and money. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're building a movement, aren't you? Or you're, you're helping to accelerate a movement that's already building by bringing people together and showing them how much is going on. I think one of the mindset shifts is this is what I've just got to expect, you know, to not feel inspired, to put my head down and just focus on the money I'm getting. Whereas the more people feel surrounded by others who are doing incredible things and working with people doing incredible things, the more they're going to want to be a part of that themselves. Yeah, I think everyone should should be able to experience that. I don't think you should have to turn off your values and your humanity when you go to work, when you go to the supermarket. A hundred percent. What's an audacious goal like? In your view, and you, you've been doing this, you were doing the hard yards with purpose when it was, when, you know, when it was small, um, when the idea of purpose wasn't even about social impact. You know, it was about our why and contextualising mm. what we do. Um, feeling what you feel now, feeling the energy, the people you're working with, the people that are, um, you know, are, are coming in as speakers and supporting you. What's a huge goal? What's feasible? Like, how could we really accelerate this movement? What's an optimistic view of that, do you think? Yeah, it's a really good question. One thing I've been thinking about a lot, um, particularly after working with Climate 200, is, is the link between the business world and politics. Um, and policy and I think in some ways the business world is well ahead of where government is on some of these issues as in, as in they want to be more ambitious or they are more ambitious but they they have been held back a little bit and I think there's going to be this huge you know opening of the floodgates um, because of our new political context or at least I hope our new political context will mean this um, in terms of that innovation in terms of businesses being able to see the growth that they, you know, should have when they're a company that is solving a critical challenge as well as, you know, operating a business. And one thing I'm toying with, I'd love for your feedback on it or your audience's feedback on it, is, is this idea of at purpose, could we together publish a, publish a kind of collective vision or declaration of, of where business is at, where we want to go, what we need to just absolutely fly and run at this um, and what, you know, what blocks are in place and what help we could, we could have from the, from the, you know, the people who do make decisions that help incentivize business, incentivize innovation and where the funding lies, where the training money's going. Um, I just think that's a really interesting thing that hasn't been fully connected up yet. Like imagine if all our politicians, all our um, ministers of, you know, of, or, or commissioner for productivity or department of trade and finance or treasury was also geared in this direction and thought, oh my gosh, I can turn on this style. I can, you know, gear that in this direction. And just knowing, you know, where those levers are from a policy perspective and what business most needs to, to just, you know, run um, in this direction that they already want to go. Um, and I think that would be things like, you know, circular economy, as we discussed, regenerative business, that disruptive technology that can bring our carbon down really quickly First Nations wisdom in business and First Nations founders and entrepreneurs, natural materials, um, 
you know, all these businesses that get this and are just there ready to go, how can we connect them with the conditions, the policy conditions and the regulatory conditions to just see them absolutely fly and flourish? That's what I'm excited about next. Yeah, that's, um, I, I, I love where you're going with that. And I wonder if um, it might be connected to something that I've been, I've been talking to someone about. Um, we talked about it for a couple of years now, um, but I, it, for, for the first time with the new government um, in Australia, it feels like it could be a possibility. And that's the idea of a purpose for Australia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, imagine if our nation had a really inspiring, unifying, ambitious purpose, which, you know, was connected to a, a, a really tangible vision of the kind of nation we want to be, mm. you know, in years to come, you know, that beacon for others to look at and go, oh, my God, yeah. Australia just are brilliant at that. And when you have something like that, you know, maybe that's, a part of what you're talking about that connects business to those policy Completely. levers. Completely agree. Can I tell you one example of something that that um, relates to that idea from a conversation I had yesterday um, with a company called Everledger? You might know them. They're a blockchain-based um, supply chain transparency company founded in Queensland by Leanne Kemp, who's was formerly the chief entrepreneur of Queensland. And they basically have a ledger objects. Um, the, the industries they focused on um, are sort of opaque and um, traditionally really um, controversial kind of industries like diamonds. They've, they're looking to eradicate blood diamonds by having a record of every diamond that comes out of a mine to the end consumer. Um, oh, wow. So looking at tracking, circularity, transparency on, on all kinds of objects and materials, like almost everyone you can think of. And so... The big thing they're looking at is critical minerals, um, which Australia mines a lot of and are used in the key products that enable kind of energy transition. So batteries and solar um, storage or EVs have a lot of these critical minerals in them. And Craig, who I was speaking to from Everledger, said something to me that was just really, again, a big mindset shift that he said, Australia should not be selling its critical minerals offshore. It should be leasing them. Right, we're soon going to be in an economy where you don't buy something and sell it and never see it again. You as a manufacturer are actually responsible for the full life cycle and the recycling of that material from one product, but then as it's it's actually deconstructed back to its raw components and used to create another product. And what Australia doesn't do very well at the moment is we export all these raw minerals and materials we make money off them a quick buck on the way out. And then a lot of other countries make a lot of the high value margin on that material by creating the, you know, the sophisticated product that is the, as yep. the mass manufacturing connected to it. And I just thought this idea is so monumental of leasing it, basically getting a royalty every time it's turned into a new product and recycled, which is the future of how materials are going to be used. You know, it's also linked to mineral rights and we can have an ongoing royalty to Indigenous organisations who, who, you know, I believe they have a right to some of the value of, of the minerals being exported out of Australia. And I just thought, wow, it really encompasses all these things about regenerative business. Imagine what you could use the profits for um, to regenerate the landscapes that the minerals have been taken out of. Um, 
circular economy. So this idea that the mineral will just be used again and again and again in a perpetual cycle. And then, you know, what could Australia be famous for? Instead of being a big quarry and a moonscape that's just had everything extracted out of it, we could be famous for being a hub of, you know, circular minerals and circular materials. That's that's incredible. And it just, it, it, it's not just, it's not even a mind shift, is it? It's a complete a complete rotation or um, change in how you look at doing things and even applying that thinking to other industries it'd be really interesting to start thinking what that would look like but that that's that's fascinating I'd love to explore that more is um is Everlane Everlane did you say Ledger Everledger Everledger are they at purpose they are they're going to be at purpose Ooh. okay well I've got my ticket Right. So um, that's exciting. Um, and what you're doing with purpose is really exciting. And I'm looking at the time and we've run out of it and I've got so many more questions for you. Um, but what I'm going to ask you is, um, would you come back after the conference and maybe have a rest, but <laughs> maybe but maybe we pick up this conversation and um, you know you could share some of the outcomes maybe you know a couple of a few months after the conference because oh. I feel like we've just started getting into the good stuff here and I think it you know this this is so inspirational and I think so exciting for people who are just you know desperate for change and and for you know to be part of that movement of change so yeah will you come back of course i would love to congratulations on the community you're building as well and for capturing this this thinking and these stories that's so so important big part of the puzzle and um yeah so excited we're gonna have you at purpose and thank you for thank you for today it's been a lovely thank you thank you for joining us sally and all the very best um for the conference i can't wait um to go Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing? <laughs>